Today we have a very special message. The message entitled, Christianity and America. And what I want to talk about today is inspired by a recent trip that I just took along with my family. As many of you all know, I was gone for um, two weeks. And I and my wife and my two children went on a mission trip together to Kenya. And we had gone, I personally had gone to Africa and served in a, on a mission trip of some sorts, whether Kenya or Tanzania or Uganda or Zambia or any one of those places. This was my ninth trip that I'd gone um, since the year 1998. My wife, was, I think it was her third trip. But this is our first time going all together as a family. So you know when you go all together as a family, you look at things in a little bit different perspective. So what I wanted to do today is share a little bit about my trip, because so many people keep asking me about my trip. But what I really want to do is see if we can find a way to translate the lessons that I learned and kind of my thoughts about the trip to America. Because mission in Kenya is great, and mission in Uganda is great, but what we really care more about is, is America. So first, let me take a step back and explain when someone says they take a mission trip to Africa, what is it that, what's going on? Like, what does that mean? Does that mean they're just preaching in the street? Or like, what is it? So I, I divide it. There, there's two components of the mission trip. The first component is actually kind of like the church here today, is a pastoral component. All the pictures are going to be of my kids. No, I didn't realize I don't have any pictures of myself there, but I took lots of pictures of my kids there. Is the pastoral component. And when I say pastoral component, we have churches in Kenya is, is, the, is the place we went. We have lots of churches there, and we go in a pastoral kind of way as much as in a missionary kind of way. So what does that mean? That means that we do Bible studies. Actually, I got off the plane. I arrived there on a Monday night. You know, I, I fly. I left here Sunday. Like, I went to church in the morning, went straight to the airport afterward, left here at like 5 o'clock, arrived in, in Nairobi at like 6 o'clock on Monday night. And then we were going to a small city called Maseno, like a rural area. So I got off the plane after not sleeping on the plane, uh, went back to the thing, didn't unpack because 5 o'clock the next morning, we needed to be on a plane over to the city of Maseno. And we got off the plane at 6.30, drove an hour to the church, and there was a group in the church praying a liturgy at the time. And the bishop told me, they're going to be done in a half hour. You're giving a Bible study as soon as they finish. So there was a lot of a pastoral component. We did Bible studies, as you see right here. There you see one time we went to visit one of the churches on a Sunday, and there's my two children teaching Sunday school. We also, one of the, the, the things that I got a chance to do, which, which really was uh, eye-opening for me in a lot of ways, is they gathered all the priests and the deacons and the leaders of all the churches in the area. And in the area mean anyone who was like a, a two-hour flight and, and inwards. And they gathered all together, it was probably... 30 priests, and, or maybe 20 priests, and probably 30 deacons, and however many leaders. And we did a two-and-a-half-day leadership conference where basically, and I find out about this on Tuesday, I found out this is happening on Thursday, that I'm going to spend all this time with them, and I'm the, not only the primary speaker, I'm apparently the only speaker, and we're going to talk and hopefully build these guys up. And I got a little uh, video clip that I'm going to show you all of what the things were like at the leadership conferences, just so you get a little bit of the taste of the culture of when the priests and the deacons and all the respected people, what do they do? We would have five sessions a day, five sessions every single day. So what do they do at their lunch break? You know, we've had two sessions in the morning and then lunch and then a little bit of free time or whatever it is. This is how they spend their free time getting ready for the afternoon session. 
kind of the spirit that was in the air. Okay, and we spent two and a half days like this, which isn't really missionary. It's pastoral care is what I'm trying to say. And firing one another up. And I left pumped up after that. I remember telling the bishop that I never felt such spiritual maturity in all my trips when I would go visit um, in Africa as when I saw with these guys right here. So that's kind of half of it, the pastoral component. And we kind of understand how does pastoral work. Like that's the same as we kind of do here. The second aspect is like the evangelistic aspect. And that's usually what we relate mission work to. And again, I'm just going to show you pictures of my kids. I've got pictures of myself. One of the things that we would do over there is we would go and try to spread the good news. And the way we would spread the good news and spread the news about Christ and about Christianity and about Orthodox Christianity and about the church is we would kind of go door to door. And I remember after we did the Bible study, so remember I told you, uh, plane at 5 o'clock, arrive, drive an hour, Bible study. That was time for everyone, uh, like everyone else, to kind of rest up a little bit. After that, we're on a bus, and we drove into different directions, and uh, every, everyone kind of split up. And we just kind of walked through the little, they call it compound, like a neighborhood or whatever. And we just kind of walk, and you would just knock on a door. And you just knock on a door and say, you know, hello, my name is whatever, and, and, you know, can we come in and chat for a little bit? Now, you're thinking to yourself, that's really weird if people did that to my door. But it's not in Africa. In fact, it's the exact opposite. You knock on someone's door, especially us, like we're Americans, they stop whatever they're doing, and they gathered everyone to come around and say, visitors are coming, visitors are coming. And even if they don't understand a word we're saying, they're just so honored, and they try to serve us things. So don't look at it in an American way. Okay, and we're gonna, okay again, I'm going to talk about how we're going to translate that to America. But we would go door to door and just chat. And just say, hey, this is who we are. And sometimes we find, hey, it's a member of the church. Can we share something in the Bible? And sometimes we find someone who's a member of another church. And that's fine. We're not trying to steal people from church to church. Just a message about Christianity. Sometimes we find it's people, maybe Jehovah's Witnesses. Sometimes it's people who uh, don't believe in anything. Sometimes people who are Muslim. Like whatever it may be. We would just kind of knock and just share whatever it is that maybe we felt God putting on our hearts. And then after that, the conclusion would be, hey, come visit the church. And sometimes we would knock, knock, knock in this whole area. And like I said, a group would go this way, this way, this way, this way. And then we'd all agree, invite everyone to this house where we knew a member lived at 3 o'clock. And we would do some kind of meeting there or whatever it may be. One of the other things that we would do sometimes, um, which we didn't actually do this trip, is sometimes that would take place in like a more uh, larger scale at what the market. Okay, so the market would be like equivalent to like a mall where just a whole bunch of people are going back and forth and buying things. So sometimes we would roll up to a market. Again, we didn't do it this particular trip, but in past trips we would. And we would just be a big group of us, and we start singing a song, and everyone kind of look, who are the visitor people? And they have a word, Mzungo, which means like the white man. Who are the Mzungos over there? And then they, you know, we'd kind of stop everyone, get the megaphone out, and just say, this is who we are. And again, invite them to the church. I want you to see none of this is weird over there. I know it sounds very weird here. Okay, and it sounds very, like, fanatical here. But none of it is weird over there. Here's the question that we want to answer here together. Does this in any way translate to America? Does this translate to America? Because if I said, I learned a lot on my, my mission trip, and I think, you know what, we should make sure that we do mission kind of stuff here in America. You say, if you think I'm a knock door to door, you're crazy. And if you expect me to stand on a megaphone on Fairfax Drive, that's even more crazy. Because you, I don't know about you, but when I'm home 
especially when I'm by myself, I, I'll confess. Okay, during the daytime, I'm home by myself, and I hear a knock, I hide. I'll be honest, I'll tell the truth. Okay, and then what I do is sneak up to my bedroom and see who it is. Okay, and because nine out of ten times the guy trying to tell me he did my neighbor's roof and he wants to do my roof, I, I, my roof is fine. I, I don't need a new roof. Or someone like it's just someone trying to tell me something, so I I hide. All right, we're not going to go door to door here in America. We're not going to go stand in the mall with a megaphone. But is there a way that this translates here? And I think the answer is yes. And what I want to share today is my personal opinion about the lessons I learned in Africa and how they translate here to America. And I'm going to share kind of three lessons learned. The first two, I'm going to go through kind of quickly. The third one, I'm going to spend a little bit more time because I need a little more explanation. But in order to understand it, I need, we need to ask ourselves a critical question first. Do people in America care? Do people care about what we're selling? Like, do we have a product, like I said, not door to door. Do we have a product that people door to door care about? Do we have something that we have in our possession that people in the mall care about? Do we have something they care about? Yes or no? In Africa, you look and you see, here's a, and again, I'm, don't take, it's not, a, it's not an offensive word. It may sound more offensive, like the word muzungu. It's not an, and if it's an offensive, it's like offensive at us, like the white man looks down at us. Okay, so it's like, I'm insulting myself, so don't take it in a racial way. When the people see the muzungus, there's something weird about them. Even if I don't care about Christianity, I kind of want to hear what they're talking about, because they're weird, and they're different. So naturally, when we're in Africa, we pile out of the bus, and we kind of unload ourselves out, we instantly have everyone's attention. Even if, even like I said, we could be selling steak knives. It doesn't matter. We're the Muzungus. People look at us and they want to hear what we're saying. How about in America? Do we have anything that people care about? Do we have anything that people want? What's the answer to that? Absolutely. I think what we have is needed more in America than it is in Africa. Because what's lacking in so many people in this place, I'll just give you, how about joy? How about peace? How about sense of purpose and significance? How about a, a hope that things can change? You see, actually, believe it or not, the people, and I, I put this picture in particular. I took a picture in this house where my kids and my wife right there. This particular house, that lady talked about her suffering, and she shared with us how she had suffered a lot, and she kind of went through her story. But she had such great hope and such great joy. I'm telling you, we lack a lot of the basic elements of that what Christianity is all about. So don't think for one second that people in this country aren't interested. We here at STSA, we always talk about extreme love, ancient faith, real community. And I'm telling you, if we have those three, we have something that your neighbor wants. You saw the video earlier, we were talking about life groups, and, and someone was sharing about community. We, if we have community, we have something people want. If we have the love of God, we have something people want. If we have a faith that is rooted and founded on the words of Christ and his disciples themselves, we have something people want. So the first thing you got to be convinced of is that what we have is something that people desire and lack. And here's what I want to say right now. We're going to go through a little bit of a history lesson right here. What we have, what we have in Christianity is what this country was founded and based upon. And it is ingrained inside every human being who lives in this country who calls himself a citizen of America. Why? Let's do a little history. I like history. I like Revolutionary War. 
I think the people of the Revolutionary War were heroes. I think these guys, they fought and they did something spectacular. And, 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 and the rest of the world, they changed the history of the world. I love these Revolutionary War guys. Go back to the Revolutionary War times. You had the bad guys, Britain. And they broke free from Britain and they got these colonies over here. And the colonies are trying to do this freedom thing, but Britain is the mean tyrant, you know, and the taxation and, 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 and the rules and then they're not giving them the freedom. So these colony guys, they declare war. And when they declared war, Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1776, most important document in the history of this country, what is the basis and the foundation of the Declaration of Independence. What's the phrase? What's the phrase that we all know and that our country is founded upon? What's the phrase? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Here's what it is. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Y'all know this, y'all heard it many, many times. That all men are created equal. This is the foundation of our country. That they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Do you know anybody else who spoke passionately about the subject of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Jesus did. Because Jesus himself, I put the verses in your hand up. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the one who said, I'm here to give you life. Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, verse 36, again, it's on your handout, that if I, the Son, make you free, give you liberty, you shall be free indeed. Jesus spoke about liberty, true liberty. And Jesus spoke in John chapter 10, verse 10, that I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The abundant life. The pursuit of happiness, not in a temporary kind of a way, but in a true living happiness. What I want you to see is that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, these are the ideals of our country. These are the ideals that Jesus based his ministry on. That people deserve life, true life. People deserve freedom, true freedom. And people deserve to live an abundant life. The problem that we have in this country today, which the fathers of our country addressed it in the next sentence. Y'all don't know what the next sentence of, of the Declaration of Independence says, do you? We never knew the next sentence, but I'm going to show you in one second. The problem is not we're pursuing different things. They believe in life, liberty, and, and the pursuit of happiness, and we believe in the same thing. Christianity says the same thing. The problem that we have is we forgot or we misunderstood what the true source of those three are. Look at this next sentence. It goes, continues on. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. And to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Summarize this in one sentence. What's the role of government? What's the role of government that they're trying to establish? They are giving their lives, fighting a war, which they think most likely many of them are going to give their lives and lose it for the sake of establishing government that does what? That grants people rights? Does the government grant rights? The government does what? Protects rights. And there's a big difference. You see, back to this one, where do we get our rights from? We get our rights from God. And the fathers knew that. And the role of the government is just to protect those rights. We confuse that. And we started to think to ourselves that it's the government who gives us rights. 
And it's the government who endows us with rights. So therefore, when we don't like what we got, we're fighting with the government. And we need this new president. We need to pass this new law. Or we need Congress this. Or we need to vote on this. Because we think that it's the government that gives us rights. And if the government says okay, then it's okay. Because the government gives rights. And I'm here to tell you what these guys, they understood that Christianity and the government are working together. That God gives us rights. And the government's job is simply to protect them that no one can step on them. You say to yourself, what does that have to do with anything we're talking about right here? You see, we've been conditioned. How many times have we heard separation of church and state, separation of church and state, separation of church and state? We messed that one up. I promise you, go read the writings of the founding fathers. They're very spiritual. They're very spiritual. The separation of church and state was never meant to be a separation of God and state. Never. In fact, it was the exact opposite. The separation of church and state was a functional one, not an ideological one. And what I mean by that is it was done to protect the church from the state, not the state from the church. It was done in such a way, separation of church and state, to say that the church can operate freely and the government cannot influence that. That was the original intent. That was the whole freedom of religion, to break free from the king and the queen was that the church would be protected from the state, and we have messed it up. We've taken separation of church and state to mean the state has nothing to do with God. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I'll prove it to you. Constitutional convention took place in what year? When they write the Constitution. Okay, 1787. Very good. In 1787, when they got together to write the Constitution of the United States of America, they had met together... And they were discussing this Constitution thing for a long time. And they kept, they kept getting frustrated and they weren't getting anywhere. They felt like that no, they weren't on the same page and they were all kind of all over the place. And they, they worked for two weeks, no progress. Up came a man named Benjamin Franklin, who I'm sure you've heard familiar with him. He invented electricity and things like that. Benjamin Franklin said the following in an address to the Continental Congress. Okay, and he uses the word sir, meaning Mr. Mr. President. Okay, so that's what they called the president at the time. He stood up and said this. He said, in the beginning of the contest with Britain, when we were sensible of danger and had, we had daily prayers in this room for divine protection, our prayers, sir, Mr. President, were heard and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of superintending providence in our favor. What's he saying there in a nutshell? He's saying separation of church and state never meant separation of God and state. And the only reason we are a state is because we prayed daily and God helped us. And y'all know that we wouldn't be here without God. That's what he's saying. And have we now forgotten this powerful friend saying now that we've won the war, we've forgotten this powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more I'm convinced, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of man. Our country's founded on that. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? Saying, if a bird doesn't fall without him, how this whole empire was destroyed without the presence of God. We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interest, our projects. So tell me if, if this sounds familiar to the current state of politics in America. 
We shall be divided by our little partial local interest. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. Travel the world, and you'll see that is true. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter, from this unfortunate instance, despair of establishing government by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, or conquest. Last one right here. I therefore beg, leave to move that. Henceforth, prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessing on our deliberation be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business, and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. Separation of church and state. The Constitutional Convention, after this powerful speech, broke for two weeks, and they took two weeks off for each man to seek God. They came back together with prominent clergy member to lead them in prayers every single day, and the rest is history. We have our Constitution today. Here's what I want to say. Like I said, I want to say three things that, that, that I think we can translate mission in Africa, how it translates right here. Three ways. First two I'm going to go through kind of quickly. Third one, I'm going to take a little bit more time. But the foundation is that this country is built into its moral fabric, Christianity. And life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness are exactly what Jesus came to provide. Now, we need to see how the two are going to reconcile because it seems the world that we live in Seems like God and the world couldn't be any further opposite. And I'm going to show you that I don't think that's true. Three things, and I'm telling you right off the bat, just in case you're wondering, okay, anyone who knows, maybe you just joined us here for the first time, you say, this is a political command, you're going to talk about politics. I'm not smart enough to talk about politics. So if you think that I got some kind of agenda up here, I promise you, I don't know enough to have an agenda, okay? So you may be sitting there and say, oh, Father Anthony's going to tell us about this, he's trying to talk about that. Get rid of that from your mind, because... I'll be honest with you, if I had an agenda, I wouldn't hide it. Okay, if I had something I want to say, I'll say it. What I'm trying to say is very, very simple and very straightforward. So don't read any more than I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say this country was established, in my opinion, was established on Christian principles, and we need to return to that. And I'm going to show you how I think we can do that. Number one, one is easy. One is easy. Invite others to church. Simple. The best thing you can do as a citizen of this country is invite people to church. Why? Because, like I said, this country was founded upon people fighting with God. And there's too many people today who are on their own without God, and you can do something about it. Now, when it comes to inviting people to church, it comes to evangelism, we all know its importance but what I discovered is we don't understand the means of it. And we think that the Africa form of evangelism is what I'm saying when I say invite others to church. We're thinking the megaphone. Everyone in this office, come to church on this day. We think of the door-to-door -door methodology. And I'm telling you, that's not at all what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what St. Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 4. He's speaking to a group of believers in in the city of Colossae, and he says this. He says, pray for us that God would open to us a door for the word. That God would open to us a door for the word. To speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. What is he praying for? Just a door. God, give us a door. There's my neighbor. Give me a door to be able to speak to him. These are all my co-workers. They're heathen. They're pagan. They're wicked people. 
Give me a door to speak to them. Give me a door that I can invite this person. Give me a door. Okay? In Africa, the door was literal. It was the door. We knocked at the door. What's the door in America? Is there a door? I'll be honest with you. I think the door in America is easier than the door in Africa. I think there's a way that you can enter into the home of all of your neighbors. Enter into the offices, the little cubicles of all your coworkers. You can enter into someone's life in America in 2015 in such an easy, simple way. You could be with them in the car. You could be with them when they wake up in the morning. You could be with them when they're going to the bathroom. And how is that? Social media, right? Isn't that what social media is all about? Social media means that you have a door into my life. Because how much of my day I spend like this, like this, like this, and you can pop up on there, and I get rid of you, and then you pop up again, and I get rid of you again. We can be more, we have more doors to enter people's lives today than ever before, and it only takes the click of a button. And I'm going to show you how easy it is. And I'm telling you in advance, I know I'm going to regret what I'm about to do. I'm going to regret it. This is the number one thing a preacher should never, ever do. I'm going to do it. Pull out your phones. And just to show you how easy it is to be an evangelist and to open a door, I gave you three options right there. If you're a Facebook guy, if you're a Twitter guy, if you're an Instagram guy, go to STSA Church on any one of these three. Just one, not all three. And don't act like, oh, I don't know where my Facebook app is. You know where it is, okay? You have six buttons to get to it right there. Go to one of these, and you will see that we just posted a flyer this morning about our upcoming Friends and Family Day in two weeks. Go, and if you're on Twitter, retweet it. If you're on Facebook, uh, share it, like it. If you're on Instagram, Instagram it. I don't know what you do on Instagram. Do whatever it is that you got to do. By pushing a simple button right now, you are entering homes all over this country. You are entering offices that are going to be there. Someone's going to get to work in the morning, and there you are. You're going to be right there in their inbox. You're going to be right there, and you got a chance to be with your neighbor before they close their eyes and go to sleep at night. Because you and I both know that everyone kisses their phone goodnight before they sleep, and they wake up, and the first thing they check, and you have a chance to be there, and it's that easy. Now that you've done that, put your phones away and listen back to me. Okay. What I want to say about this Okay, just in case you're still doing it, but only do one of them and then put your phones away. Okay. Why we do everything we do online, like I want to say this to our church family. Our church family, don't look at, like when I say follow us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or we post stuff, don't look at that in a consumeristic way. We're not posting things online for you to consume them. We're posting them online to give you a tool that you can share them. And this is the easiest way to be an evangelist. Don't look at it and say, yeah, I heard that talk before and delete the post. No, share that post. Like we're trying to make it easy for you. That's why on the Instagram we have little pictures with little words or phrases or whatever it is. Easy things that you can share. Look at it as something that you can share, not just something that's there for you to consume. Okay? Everyone good? Phones away? Phones away. Okay. Number one, I invite people to church. Number two, we should pray for our nation. 
We should pray for our nation. And I put specifically in parentheses, and its leaders. I didn't say, if you are Democrat, pray for the leaders. Or if you are Republican, pray for your leaders. As citizens of the United States of America, one of the things that the Orthodox Church has always taught us is we pray for our ruler. And did you know that every time we celebrate the liturgy of the Eucharist, we pray for the president of this country? The prayers actually say of the king, but we translate it to, we don't have a king, okay? We have a president. Is that everywhere we go, we pray for our president because he's our leader and because that's what is commanded to us in the scripture. Second, first Timothy chapter two. I'm only gonna talk about this for a minute, okay? And I'll tell you why. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Like I said, we don't have kings. We got presidents. We got vice presidents. We got governors. We got congressmen. This is who we pray for, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Jeremiah 29, 7. Seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. I'm not going to talk about this point at all. Pray for our nation. You know why? Because as we announced earlier, we're starting a new series in two weeks on that Friends and Family Day where you just invited your friends to, and it's all about prayer. It's called The War Room. That's going to be a five-week series on prayer. So I am not going to talk about prayer now. I'm just going to mention it, that that's one of the ways that we translate to America. We pray for our nation and its rulers, but I'm not going to talk about it. But I will just tell you this. The rule of life in any area of life, your marriage, your country, whatever, your job, you are not allowed to complain about something that you did not pray about. So those who complain about politics but don't pray for the politicians, can't complain. Same thing. Like I said, you can't pray for your, you can't complain about your boss without praying for your boss. You can't complain about your kids without praying for your kids. Too many of us, we complain about the state of our country without praying for the state of our country. And that ain't right. You have no right to complain about something. Now, if you prayed, okay, then maybe you can, okay, but we pray for our nation. Okay, those are the first two. Those are the quick ones. This next one, I'm going to take a little bit of time because I'm going to tell you something right now that may not make sense, but stick with me here. I'll explain it. We should do what's responsible, not what's permissible. We do what's responsible, not permissible. Stick with me on this one. Let me explain what I'm talking about right here. We're going back, like I said, Revolutionary War, Constitutional Convention. There's something in this country which you've all heard of, and we all know to some degree, that distinguishes our country from any other country. Especially the more and more I travel to different countries, you realize that we have something here in America that doesn't exist anywhere else in this world. And it's something that even you, you, though you don't realize it, you should thank God for every single day. And that thing, something called the Bill of Rights. Y'all remember the Bill of Rights, fourth grade? Remember the Bill of Rights? I bet you... If I'd have done a little trivia right here, we could probably name two or three of these rights, but most of us wouldn't remember all of them. So just quickly, what are the Bill of Rights? The Bill of Rights are the first 10 amendments to the Constitution which secure our personal freedoms and our individual rights as citizens of this country. And like I said, no other country has a Bill of Rights like we do. No other country has rights like we do. We have freedom of speech, which means we can say what we want, when we want, how we want means we can, I can go on Twitter and I can curse you and your mom and your dad and your whatever and then you can curse me back and then I can comment on your blog and you can comment on my blog and we can curse each other all we want and it's a freedom, freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want to whoever I want. Freedom of press. No one can control the press. They can write whatever they want. The president can't say, not allowed to write this. 
Freedom of assembly means that no other country, I don't want to say no other, many other countries like this one, that we as a church, we don't need to ask the government for permission. Say, hey, can we start a church here? We'd like to assemble. The government can't tell us yes or no. We have the freedom to assemble however we want. Freedom of religion. And freedom of religion does not mean freedom of worship, which that somehow got confused recently, which, which, which sometimes means like you can do whatever you want on Sundays. No, freedom of religion means I can practice my religion freely Monday through Friday, however I want, as long as it doesn't impose on someone else's rights. No one can tell me how to practice my religion, even outside of church. Freedom to bear arms, okay? Uh, freedom of due process, jury trial. Jury trial is a big deal. If you go to a lot of other countries, you're not allowed to have a trial of your peers. Search and seizure, cruel and unusual punishment. And everyone's favorite, we no longer need to quarter soldiers. Okay. <laughs> Those are the Bill of Rights. The first 10 amendments. But there's one that's not kind of in, there's one amendment in the first 10 that isn't kind of the Bill of Rights. It's kind of the catch-all Bill of Rights. And that's the Ninth Amendment. Do y'all know what the Ninth Amendment is? See, see, we're doing religion, we're doing history. Like, this is beneficial for you guys. <laughs> y'all need to know the Ninth Amendment. It's one of the most important ones, if not the most important. When the Founding Fathers gave us these rights, they thought to themselves, hey, wait a minute. Are these the only rights that there are? Like, do you have other rights outside of these rights? If the Bill of Rights was written today, would it look the same? Or would there be potentially some variation? Like today, we wouldn't talk about quartering of soldiers, even though that's an important right. We would say, like, if we did a Bill of Rights today, what would we say? Some people would say, like, health care. That should be a right. Education. That's a right. I would say, if you ask me, Wi-Fi. Everywhere should have Wi-Fi. That's our right as an American. Like, there should not be a place in this country where there's no Wi-Fi. The Founding Fathers thought of this. So they gave us the Ninth Amendment, which says this. It says, The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Do y'all understand what that means? Saying, when we list out these ten rights, that doesn't mean these are the only rights. And that shall not be construed to deny the other rights that may come up in future generations. And what it's basically saying is that there may be other rights that we didn't list out that you as an individual have. And again, like I said, we agree on this principle. And we like this. This is the catch-all amendment. Here's where things get a little bit hairy. Why do you think the Founding Fathers wrote this, the Ninth Amendment? Jump into their mindset. Why do you think they wrote it? What were they thinking? What was their, what was their mindset? Free Wi-Fi? That I could have the right to, you know, uh, drive whatever car I want. I have the right to drive as fast as I want. How do you think they interpreted, or why do you think was the reason they put this right? Jump into their mindset. Was it, did they put this, this Ninth Amendment, so that they could secure for themselves the ability to do whatever they wanted in the future? Or do you think they put this right to protect the rights of the other people who are in front of them? We made a mistake with this Ninth Amendment. We did. Because what we did is we started taking it a selfish way. We took it 
as this says, I have the right to do, here I give you a modern translation. This is how I think we would say the Ninth Amendment today. I have the right to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as it doesn't interfere with your rights to do the exact same. Isn't that how we live in this country today? That is the exact opposite mindset that the fathers gave us. They were giving the Ninth Amendment rights, this catch-all rights, to say, look, there may be some things that we forgot, but these people in this country who are poor still have the same rights as us rich, who are weak still have the same rights as us who are strong, who are, forgive me, don't mean it in a bad way, females have the same rights as us men. Children have the same rights as us as the strong and the warriors. They gave us the Ninth Amendment right. It was never about my rights. It was about our rights. And it was about protecting the rights of those who couldn't fight for themselves. That's why they gave the Ninth Amendment and all those rights. But we messed this up. Because we started to look at it as, I have a right to do this, and I have a right to do this, and I have a right to do that, and no one can tell me not to do that. Parents, let me ask you a question. Parents, all parents know the answer to this. What happens before I give my child rights? Before I give my child rights, I need something from him. What do I need from him? Responsibility. Why? Because every parent knows this intuitively, that rights without responsibility leads to disaster. Rights without responsibility leads to disaster. For example, you turn 16. When I turned 16, I said, give me a card. If I give a card to someone who is irresponsible, he says, that's my right. And I say, no. If you're not responsible, you don't deserve that right. Agree? You all agree with me on that one? Someone who buys a handgun should not have the right unless he has proved he's responsible, knows what to do with it. Can't take a little child and say, right to bear arms. No, son. It's not right to bear arms. You have to be responsible because if you are not responsible and I give you a right, it's going to lead to a disaster. One time, I was at someone's house. Have you ever visited someone's house? These are Southern people, so maybe if you're Southern Atlanta people, like Southern people. Someone's house and one of the children's rooms had no door. Y'all ever seen this? Anyone ever seen this? Someone's house with no door. You've seen it, okay? Why this person had no door? Because you're walking around, and you're like, oh, okay, no door on that one. Like, it's okay, like, you know, like, maybe someone stole it, or, or, or like, maybe the mortgage payment's like, okay, they don't have enough for a door. And they said, no, we took his door off. Took his door off? Why? Because he isn't responsible with his privacy. So he lost the right to privacy. And I don't know what was going on in that room. I don't know what he was doing. I don't, I don't know if he's slamming the door or like, I, if he's, I don't know what he's doing in that room. But that child lost the right to privacy, not because his parents are mean, but because he was irresponsible with it. We believe this. We all know this. Rights without responsibility leads to disaster. So let me ask you this question. Founding fathers gave us all these rights. Rights, 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 rights to this, right 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 to this. And they gave us a catch-all. Whatever right that we forgot as your right. If they gave us a bill of rights, why didn't they give us a bill of responsibility? Why did the founding fathers not speak about the responsibility that came with the rights? This is so important. You have to understand this. This is so important. Quote from John Adams. Listen carefully to what John Adams, second president, okay, Declaration of Independence, very spiritual guy, very good guy. 
John Adams, by the way, is the one that they say never owned a slave. That's what they say, John Adams. Even though it was legal, John Adams never owned a slave. John Adams is a good guy. John Adams said this. Our Constitution, listen to this, citizens of the United States of America, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. Don't tell me separation of church and state. Our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. That's a powerful statement. Why do you think he says that? What is John Adams saying right here? He's saying here very, 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 very simply that look, that if we do not assume a level of morality and ethical behavior and responsibility, this freedom and democracy thing is not going to work. It's actually going to be a disaster because what we are trying to do is give the control and the authority to the people and trusting that the people are responsible enough to do the right thing. But if the people are only looking out for their own rights and my rights, and what do I get? This experiment in democracy, is it going to be a disaster? It's going to fail. It'll never work. You go look at the guys who fought the Revolutionary War and wrote the Constitution, and you see that those guys had such a high level. I'm not saying they were all saints. I'm not saying they were all very spiritual and saints, but I'll tell you one thing that they had that we have lost. They had a deep, deep, deep conviction and sense of divine accountability. Divine accountability that we will answer for our actions to God. And that's actually why they, they did the, the Revolutionary War. They felt that, like they, in their writings, they talk about how God has called us to this. And they weren't doing it in, in a selfish way. They were doing it in a, God put this in front of us. And they felt that sense of divine accountability. I love the United States of America. I'm about as patriotic, I'm about as red, white, and blue, American pie, hot dogs as you can get. But we got to call it like we see it. This is what we messed up. And let me show you how I tell you we messed this up. Again, travel the world. Travel the world and see what people think of our country. There's one characteristic of our country that everywhere else in the world, they laugh at us. We are proud of it, and they laugh at us. And that is a part of our justice system called lawsuits. 2010 Harvard Law School research study showed us that this. Among these, here they put five other countries that are comparable. And they said, in these countries, Canada, Australia, Japan, France, and UK, per 100,000 people, number of lawsuits. You see right there, 1450, 1542, 1700, 2400, 3600. Per every 100,000. Where's the United States of America on this list? 5806. And not just lawsuits. Let me give you some more statistics from the same study, in case you don't believe me. You can't have lawsuits without judges. Where is the best place to be a judge or a lawyer? United States of America. And all those other countries, the average per 100,000. Per 100,000, how many judges in all those other countries? 4.9. United States of America, 11. All those other countries, 500,000 people, you'll find five judges. In America, you find 11. Number of lawyers, it gets even better. Number of lawyers in all those other countries, average, 140. United States of America, 392. What does that say about us? What does that say about us? 
I love our country. I'm not, I'm not making fun of our country. I'm telling you, we have made a wrong turn. What does that say about us and our country? It's that we have misunderstood what rights are all about. And the way we approach it is we do not look at our rights. We look at my rights. We do not look at what does our country need. We look at what do I need. And I'll show you, I'll prove to you that it's you just as much as it's me, as much as it's all the other people. We walk around looking not to be responsible. We look for loopholes. What do we all do when we get pulled over? What do we all do when we get pulled over for speeding? We know we were speeding. We know we were breaking the law. What do we all do? Oh, no, he didn't fill it out properly. Aha! He, he's, he got my name wrong. Aha! I'm, I'm free. Loophole. Aha! He didn't show up at the court. Aha! I'm free. Loophole. We look for loopholes. Aha! I found a way to cheat the tax code. Aha! I found oh, you weren't supposed to do that. Aha! We look for loopholes. Even when we're wrong, and we know we're wrong, but we're not trying to be responsible. We're looking for loopholes. Because it's not more about our rights and what's best for our country. It's about what's best for me. In the beginning, the founding father said that every person has a right to life. What do we say? We say, well, the courts have told us that actually you can take a life if it's under this many months. And actually, if it's in this period of time, even though we know it's a life, we know it's a life. That's been proven. And no one who says that, uh, that a life doesn't begin at conception, everyone knows that. But what we've said is that that life doesn't matter. So even though God said all life matters, we said no. The courts told us that it doesn't matter until a certain age. And we went with the courts. God told us marriage is a gift that I am giving to you to protect you and to help you and to further you. And it's a sacred institution. And this is how I designed it. But the court said, actually, we're going to make it this way. And you can do this and you can change that. And you can do this. And we went with the courts as if they're the creators of marriage. It used to be when it was the founding fathers, man, it was brother helping brother. It was everyone on the same team. If your neighbor was weak, man, you picked them up. And now, loopholes. Every man for himself. Our attitude these days, if it's legal, it's moral. As long as it's not against the law, I'm allowed to do it. If it's permissible, go for it. And that's the United States of America that we live in today. So God bless you, and God bless America. You want to know the worst part? In my personal opinion, this is my own editorial right now. This state that we live in today, loopholes, lawsuits, every man for himself. If we are waiting for the country, the courts, the government to change, my personal opinion is never going to change. The way it was designed and the way it is are permanently separate and will never go back. Like We're not going back to the days of the colonies. We're not going back to that. We're not going back to the ethical and moral standard being instituted by everyone. We're not. That train is left. We're not going back. So is there hope? Prayer, okay. More than prayer. Is there hope? Yes, you better believe there's hope. There's a very strong hope, and you're part of it. Because every study that is done says that at a minimum, at a minimum, the number of people in this country who call themselves Christian is 70%.
at a minimum. And I saw one study that was done that went up as high as 81%. Let's go with three quarters, somewhere in the middle there. Three quarters of the people in this country, citizens of the United States of America, say we don't just answer to the government, we answer to someone called Jesus Christ. And we follow him, and we follow his teachings, and we are his disciples. Three quarters of the people say that. So it's three those three quarters of the people that I want to speak to. Because in them lies, in us, lies the potential to change this country. Not if we vote the same, not if we pass laws together, but if we, as the people of Christ, hold ourselves to a higher standard, which is Christ's standard, not the government standard. Passage from Scripture, okay? Passage from Scripture, Galatians chapter 5. A little background here. Galatians chapter 5. St. Paul is writing to a, a group of Christians. And he's talking about the relation of where they're living now, New Testament, to the Old Testament and the law. So in the Old Testament, you know, don't touch this and don't eat this. You're not allowed to do this. And it was all these laws. And in the New Testament, they said, no, you don't need to do the laws anymore. The laws are, 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 are fulfilled in Christ. So they now had all this freedom. And St. Paul is telling them, how they should handle this freedom. He says this, Galatians 5.13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You, brethren, have been called to liberty. Let's stop right there. I, I, I try to paint the picture for you of how I interpreted this. What St. Paul is saying to them is you spend so much of your life as slaves, kind of under the law, kind of uh, um, subject to all these different rules. Well, now you're free. And now there's no more rules. And now you're liberty. You know what I think back to? And this is hard to say in front of my two parents who are right here, okay? It's, if you don't know how hard it is to preach in front of your two parents, okay, I'm going to go back to my childhood. My first day at college. You know, tell me if I'm not the only one here. When you moved away to college, I still remember it. Sorry, Mom and Dad. I remember when they dropped me off, and they put this in, and we carried all this stuff, and I didn't have a car, so they dropped me off. And stuff. Okay, see you later. You got something to eat? Yeah, yeah. You got to take this to eat? Okay, okay, okay. Got enough to eat. Enough to eat for me and the whole dorm for the next six weeks. Okay. And they go. And I remember walking to the curb, and then they drove off. I remember thinking to myself. <laughs> Sorry. I'm free. I'm free. There is absolutely nothing I cannot do right now. Like, what do I want to do? I want to jump up. I want to jump and scream. I can scream. I want to run around. I want to throw all my laundry on the bed. That's fine. I, I, I want to open all the drawers, leave them all open. I want to run around with scissors. Like, I can do whatever I want. There is nothing I cannot do at this moment in time. No one can tell me to go to class. Like, it's this feeling. If you didn't go away to college, the other thing I equated to, again, sorry in front of the parents, the first time you drove a car by yourself. You remember that? Here you are driving, and all the time it's the driving instructor or mom or dad right next to you, and they slow down and turn and all this stuff. Now you're by yourself, and you're like, I'm on the beltway. There's four lanes. Speedometer goes up to 120, so I mean. <laughs> Freedom. I can do whatever I want. But what St. Paul is telling us, he's about to tell us here, is that freedom, rights, without responsibility, it's going to be problematic. So yes, you are now free, but make sure you use your freedom in a responsible way. He says it this way. For, we, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Do you know what that means? Do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh? St. Paul knows how we think. You know how we think? 
forgive me, we all think the same way. We think lowest common denominator. We think, what can I get away with? We think no one's here watching me, so what am I going to watch on TV when no one's around? Stuff I'll only watch when no one's around. What am I going to do in my room when no one's around? Stuff that I can get away with. We always think down to the lowest level. That's how we are as human beings. We look for loopholes. We look for what can I get away with. We look for the tax laws. Hmm, if I'm not going to get audited, okay. We look for, hmm, here I am in the supply closet. If they ain't taking inventory, okay. That's how we are. We always sink down to the lowest level. Do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. But through love... Serve one another. And I'm telling you, if the three quarters of the people who call themselves Christian in this country get this, but through love serve one another for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What St. Paul is saying is that we have a higher call. And just because it's allowed doesn't mean it's responsible. And that is what we as Christians need to hold ourselves to. Specifically, I'll give you a few applications. And, and just, this is not comprehensive by any means, but just something that hopefully you can hold on to. I, as a Christian, I will do what's just, not what I can justify. I will do what is just, not what I can justify. I will not say what is the bare minimum Let's say good neighbor. Said, love your neighbor as yourself. Here I am as a neighbor. I live in a house next door. What's the bare minimum to be a good neighbor? I mowed my lawn right to the line. I will say, how can I love my neighbor? And even if that means two or three feet over into his property, I mowed one or two lines on him. I will not say that you keep your branches on your side and you keep your kids out of my yard. I have the right. I have the right. No one has the right to step on my property. That's my right. But I hold myself to a higher standard. I will not say how low can I go. I will say how high can I reach. Imagine this. I'm at, like, let me tell you something crazy. You go to work tomorrow. And your work is cutthroat. Nobody cares about nobody. Everybody's Christian. Nobody cares about nobody. Everyone says, I believe in Jesus. I follow him. Nobody loves one another and serves one another as Jesus taught us to. No one does that. You're going to change that. You're going to go in. You're going to stop by Bill's cubicle or your boss's office. You stop in there and say, hey, anything I can help out with today? How can I help? How can I serve? They're going to look at you and say, well, yeah, you're crazy. You say, can I help? Anything I can do to help? They're looking at you and say, this is not how we do it here. See, what we do around here is I help myself and you help yourself. And when you are not looking, I help myself to what you're helping yourself to. We don't help each other. We help ourselves. We look out for ourselves. And you say, well, you know, uh, if you need anything here, I'm happy to help. Go, go, go do that. College students, go do that to your parents. Go home for Christmas break, Thanksgiving break, whatever, and say, Mom, Dad, I'm here for a week. How can I help? <laughs> do what's just, not what I can justify. I will do what's moral, not what's modeled. I will do what's moral, not what's modeled. Meaning that I will answer to God with my actions, not to the government. So just because the government says it's okay, that ain't my, that ain't my rule. That's not my standard. 
it's legal to watch pornography. You have the right to do it. No one can tell you not to do it. It's legal that if I am an adult, I can have sex with any other adult as long as they're consenting. That's my right. No one can tell me as a citizen of the United States of America that I cannot do that. But that's not my standard. I don't do, I don't do what I can get away with. I do what's right. Here's the thing about do what's moral, not what's modeled. Every human being on this planet, every human being on this planet, you know, 99% of the time, you know. You don't need someone to tell you what's moral. You know. And it's time for us as Christians to hold ourselves to that standard. And that last one, like I said earlier, I'm going to do what's responsible, not what's permissible. Imagine this, okay? Leave y'all with this thought. Imagine, 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 imagine. If it helps you to close your eyes, close your eyes if it helps. Imagine a day in this country where three quarters, the 75% of people who call themselves Christian actually do this. Imagine the day where the 75% of us, that we wake up in the morning and we say, you know what? I'm gonna love, I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna help others. It's not about me today. It's how can I love like Jesus loved? Imagine a day like that. What would a day look like? Look, look like? What would a policeman do on that day? The cops would all be free. We don't need policemen. We don't need a policeman for one thing I can think of. Direct traffic. You know why? Because everyone would be like, no, God, you serve. No, no, I insist. No, 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 I insist. Policemen would be like, there's like a mile and a half back up here. Please, sir, go. No, 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 I insist. I just want him to go first so badly. And I, here's an apple I thought of you. Imagine a day. Well, you know what? You laugh and you say that's silly and that's not realistic. I'll be honest, I think that's basic Christianity. I think that's exactly what Jesus commanded us to do. I don't see it as that far-fetched. And if you do see it as far-fetched, then I will just go back to what St. Paul said. Because St. Paul told you what would happen if we don't live that way. The next verse. St. Paul, think of this prophetically. Think of this hymn 2,000 years ago writing to the people of the United States of America about your liberty and your responsibility. And if you don't use it properly, this is what's going to happen. But if you bite and devour, and I want to put lawsuit in there too, and sue, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. My editorial. We think, as Americans, greatest country live on this planet. I fully believe that. We think that the greatest threat to this country is other countries who don't like us and want to hurt us. I disagree 100%. The greatest threat to this country is not outside, but is within. And specifically, Christians, it's us. The greatest threat to this country is the 75% of us who call ourselves Christian, who live just like anyone else lives, and live by what's permissible, not by what's responsible. By what the government said I'm allowed to do versus what I will be held accountable to in front of the throne of God. If our greatest threat is within, our greatest hope is within as well. Because I believe that if the 75% who call Christ Lord, rise up and say, number one, I will invite others to my church to know Christ. I will invite because someone who doesn't know God has no hope 
has no hope of being a true citizen of this country. Number two, I will pray for my nation. And I'm not talking about that today, but I will because that's commanded to me. And number three, I will model a life of responsibility and I will do what is just, not what's justified, what is, what is moral, not what is modeled. Last quote from our man John Adams again. He said this, writing to us today, he starts off saying posterity. Y'all know what posterity means? It means like legacy, future generations, people who are going to read this thousands of years later. Posterity, you and me. You will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. People died. People gave their lives. I hope that you will make good use of it. If you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains to preserve it. Easy thing to say is look and say this country and the president and the Congress and the Democrats and the Republicans and the blah, blah, blah. We're not looking to anyone to solve the, any issues in this country. President, laws, Congress cannot get people to do what Christ commanded us to do. But we, the three quarters who call ourselves Christian, if we rise up and we say we have been given rights, but those rights come with a responsibility. I will use my rights. Invite people to church. Pray for this nation. And, and live a life of responsibility, regardless of what's permissible. That is what I think we need to do in this country. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for all the gifts that you have given to us the country that you have given us that gives us so many rights, more rights than any other country in the world, any other country that's ever existed in this world. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be responsible with those rights, to take what you have given to us and to use them to obey you and to further your kingdom and to further your gospel and to bring more people to know you and to love you and to be part of your eternal family. Thank you for everything that you've given to us, Lord. And thank you for all the people who are, who are here who love you and love this country and want to take an active role in making it more in accordance with what you designed. We ask this in the name of your Son, with the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus.